Chapter Six of The Social Cancer, a complete English version of Noli Me Tangere from the Spanish of Jose Rizal by Charles Darbyshire. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avai in November two thousand eleven. Chapter Six, Capitan Tiago. Thy will be done on earth. While our characters are deep in slumber or busy with their breakfasts, let us turn our attention to Capitan Tiago. We have never had the honour of being his guest, so it is neither our right nor our duty to pass him by slightingly, even under the stress of important events. Low in stature, with a clear complexion, a corpulent figure, and a full face, thanks to the liberal supply of fat, which, according to his admirers, was the gift of heaven, and which his enemies averred was the blood of the poor, Capitan Tiago appeared to be younger than he really was. He might have been thought between thirty and thirty-five years of age. At the time of our story his countenance always wore a sanctified look, his little round head, covered with ebony black hair, cut long in front and short behind, was reputed to contain many things of weight. His eyes, small but with no Chinese slant, never varied in expression. His nose was slender and not at all inclined to flatness, and if his mouth had not been disfigured by the immoderate use of tobacco and buyo, which, when chewed and gathered in one cheek, marred the symmetry of his features, we would say that he might properly have considered himself a handsome man and have passed for such. Yet, in spite of this bad habit, he kept marvellously white both his natural teeth and also the two which the dentist furnished him at twelve pesos each. He was considered one of the richest landlords in Binondo and a planter of some importance by reason of his estates in Pampanga and Laguna, principally in the town of San Diego, the income from which increased with each year. San Diego, on account of its agreeable baths, its famous cockpit, and his cherished memories of the place, was his favourite town, so that he spent at least two months of the year there. His holdings of real estate in the city were large, and it is superfluous to state that the opium monopoly controlled by him and the Chinese brought in large profits. They also had the lucrative contract of feeding the prisoners in Bilibit and furnished saccade to many of the stateliest establishments in Manila, through the medium of contracts, of course. Standing well with all the authorities, clever, cunning, and even bold in speculating upon the wants of others, he was the only formidable rival of a certain Perez in the matter of the farming out of revenues and the sale of offices and appointments, which the Philippine government always confides to private persons. Thus, at the time of the events here narrated, Capitan Tiago was a happy man, in so far as it is possible for a narrow-brained individual to be happy in such a land. He was rich and at peace with God, the government, and man. That he was at peace with God was beyond doubt, almost like religion itself. There is no need to be on bad terms with the good God when one is prosperous on earth, when one has never had any direct dealings with him and has never lent him any money. Capitan Tiago himself had never offered any prayers to him, even in his greatest difficulties, for he was rich and his gold prayed for him. 
for masses and supplications high and powerful priests had been created for novenas and rosaries god in his infinite bounty had created the poor for the service of the rich the poor who for a peso could be secured to recite sixteen mysteries and to read all the sacred books even the hebrew bible for a little extra if at any time in the midst of pressing difficulties he needed celestial aid and had not at hand even a red chinese taper he would call upon his most adored saints promising them many things for the purpose of putting them under obligation to him and ultimately convincing them of the righteousness of his desires the saint to whom he promised the most and whose promises he was the most faithful in fulfilling was the virgin of antipolo our lady of peace and prosperous voyages with many of the lesser saints he was not very punctual or even decent and sometimes after having his petitions granted he thought no more about them though of course after such treatment he did not bother them again when occasion arose capitan tiago knew that the calendar was full of idle saints who perhaps had nothing wherewith to occupy their time up there in heaven furthermore to the virgin of antipolo he ascribed greater power and efficiency than to all the other virgins combined whether they carried silver canes naked or richly clothed images of the first child scapularies rosaries or girdles perhaps his reverence was owing to the fact that she was a very strict lady watchful of her name and according to the senior sacristan of antipolo an enemy of photography when she was angered she turned black as ebony while the other virgins were softer of heart and more indulgent it is a well-known fact that some minds love an absolute monarch rather than a constitutional one as witness louis the fourteenth and louis the sixteenth philip the second and amadeo the first this fact perhaps explains while infidel chinese and even spaniards may be seen kneeling in the famous sanctuary what is not explained is why the priests run away with the money of the terrible image go to america and get married there in the sala of capitan tiago's house that door hidden by a silk curtain leads to a small chapel or oratory such as must be lacking in no filipino home there were placed his household gods and we say gods because he was inclined to polytheism rather than to monotheism which he had never come to understand there could be seen images of the holy family with busts and extremities of ivory glass eyes long eyelashes and curly blond hair masterpieces of santa cruz sculpture paintings in oil by artists of paco and ermita represented martyrdoms of saints and miracles of the virgin saint lucy gazing at the sky and carrying in a plate an extra pair of eyes with lashes and eyebrows such as are seen painted in the triangle of the trinity or on egyptian tombs saint pasqual bailon saint anthony of padua in a gingon habit looking with tears upon a christ child dressed as a captain-general with the three-cornered hat sword and boots as in the children's ball at madrid that character is represented which signified for capitan tiago that while god might include in his omnipotence the power of a captain-general of the philippines the franciscans would nevertheless play with him as with a doll there might also be seen a saint anthony the abbot with a hog by his side 
a hog that for the worthy capitan was as miraculous as the saint himself for which reason he never dared to refer to it as the hog but as the creature of holy saint anthony a saint francis of assisi in a coffee-coloured robe and with seven wings placed over a saint vincent who had only two but in compensation carried a trumpet a saint peter the martyr with his head split open by the taliban of an evil-doer and held fast by a kneeling infidel side by side with another saint peter cutting off the ear of a moro malchus no doubt who was gnawing his lips and writhing with pain while a fighting cock on a doric column crowed and flapped his wings from all of which capitan tiago deduced that in order to be a saint it was just as well to smite as to be smitten who could enumerate that army of images and recount the virtues and perfections that were treasured there a whole chapter would hardly suffice yet we must not pass over in silence a beautiful saint michael of painted and gilded wood almost four feet high the archangel is biting his lower lip and with flashing eyes frowning forehead and rosy cheeks is grasping a greek shield and brandishing in his right hand a sulu chris ready as would appear from his attitude and expression to smite the worshipper or any one else who might approach rather than the horned and tailed devil that had his teeth set in his girlish leg capitan tiago never went near this image from fear of a miracle had not other images even those more rudely carved ones that issue from the carpenter shops of paete many times come to life for the confusion and punishment of incredulous sinners it is a well-known fact that a certain image of christ in spain when invoked as a witness of promises of love had assented with a movement of the head in the presence of the judge and that another such image had reached out its right arm to embrace saint lutgarda and furthermore had he not himself read a booklet recently published about a mimic sermon preached by an image of saint dominic in soriano true the saint had not said a single word but from his movements it was inferred at any rate the author of the booklet inferred that he was announcing the end of the world was it not reported too that the virgin of luta in the town of lipa had one cheek swollen larger than the other and that there was mud on the borders of her gown does not this prove mathematically that the holy images also walk about without holding up their skirts and that they even suffer from the toothache perhaps for our sake had he not seen with his own eyes during the regular good friday sermon all the images of christ move and bow their heads thrice in unison thereby calling forth wails and cries from the women and other sensitive souls destined for heaven more we ourselves have seen the preacher show to the congregation at the moment of their descent from the cross a handkerchief stained with blood and were ourselves on the point of weeping piously when to the sorrow of our soul a sacristan assured us that it was all a joke that the blood was that of a chicken which had been roasted and eaten on the spot in spite of the fact that it was good friday and the sacristan was fat so capitan tiago even though he was a prudent and pious individual took care not to approach the chris of st michael let's take no chances he would say to himself 
I know that he's an archangel, but I don't trust him. No, I don't trust him. Not a year passed without his joking with an orchestra in the pilgrimage to the wealthy shrine of Antipolo. He paid for two thanksgiving masses of the many that make up the three novenas, and also for the days when there are no novenas, and washed himself afterwards in the famous batisse or pool where the sacred image herself had bathed. Her votaries can even yet discern the tracks of her feet and the traces of her locks and the hard rock, where she dried them, resembling exactly those made by any woman who uses coconut oil, and just as if her hair had been steel or diamonds and she had weighed a thousand tons. We should like to see the terrible image once shake her sacred hair in the eyes of those credulous persons and put her foot upon their tongues or their heads. There, at the very edge of the pool, Capitan Tiago made it his duty to eat roast pig, sinigang of dalag with alibambang leaves and other more or less appetizing dishes. The two masses would cost him over four hundred pesos, but it was cheap after all if one considered the glory that the mother of the lord would acquire from the pinwheels rockets bombs and mortars and also the increased profits which thanks to these masses would come to one during the year but antipolo was not the only theatre of his ostentatious devotion in binondo in pampanga and in the town of san diego when he was about to put up a fighting cock with large wagers he would send gold monies to the curate for propitiatory masses, and, just as the Romans consulted the augurs before a battle, giving food to the sacred fowls, so Capitan Tiago would also consult his augurs, with the modifications befitting the times and the new truths. Tai would watch closely the flame of the tapers, the smoke from the incense, the voice of the priest, and from it all attempt to forecast his luck. It was an admitted fact that he lost very few wagers, and in those cases it was due to the unlucky circumstance that the officiating priest was hoarse, or that the altar-candles were few or contained too much tallow, or that a bad piece of money had slipped in with the rest. The warden of the Brotherhood would then assure him that such reverses were tests to which he was subjected by heaven to receive assurance of his fidelity and devotion. So, beloved by the priests, respected by the sacristans, humoured by the Chinese chandlers and the dealers in fireworks, he was a man happy in the religion of this world, and persons of discernment and great piety even claimed for him great influence in the celestial court. That he was at peace with the government cannot be doubted, however difficult an achievement it may seem. Incapable of any new idea and satisfied with his modus vivendi, he was ever ready to gratify the desires of the last official of the fifth class in every one of the offices, to make presents of hams, capons, turkeys, and Chinese fruits at all seasons of the year. If he heard anyone speak ill of the natives, he, who did not consider himself as such, would join in the chorus and speak worse of them. If anyone aspersed the Chinese or Spanish mestizos, he would do the same, perhaps because he considered himself become a full-blooded Iberian. He was ever first to talk in favour of any new imposition of taxes or special assessment, especially when he smelled a contract or a farming assignment behind it. 
he always had an orchestra ready for congratulating and serenading the governors judges and other officials on their name days and birthdays at the birth or death of a relative and in fact at every variation from the usual monotony for such occasions he would secure laudatory poems and hymns in which were celebrated the kind and loving governor the brave and courageous judge for whom there awaits in heaven the palm of the just with many other things of the same kind he was the president of the rich guild of mestizos in spite of the protests of many of them who did not regard him as one of themselves in the two years that he held this office he wore out ten frock coats an equal number of high hats and half a dozen canes the frock coat and the high hat were in evidence at the ayuntamiento in the governor-general's palace and at military headquarters the high hat and the frock coat might have been noticed in the cockpit in the market in the processions in the chinese shops and under the hat and within the coat might have been seen the perspiring capitan tiago waving his tasselled cane directing arranging and throwing everything into disorder with marvellous activity and a gravity even more marvellous so the authorities saw in him a safe man gifted with the best of dispositions peaceful tractable and obsequious who read no books or newspapers from spain although he spoke spanish well indeed they rather looked upon him with the feeling with which a poor student contemplates the worn-out heel of his old shoe twisted by his manner of walking in this case there was truth in both the christian and profane proverbs beati pauperes spiritu and beati possidentes and there might well be applied to him that translation according to some people incorrect from the greek glory to god in the highest and peace to men of good will on earth even though we shall see further along that it is not sufficient for man to have good will in order to live in peace the irreverent considered him a fool the poor regarded him as a heartless and cruel exploiter of misery and want and his inferiors saw in him a despot and a tyrant as to the women ah the women accusing rumours buzzed through the wretched nipa huts and it was said that wails and sobs might be heard mingled with the weak cries of an infant more than one young woman was pointed out by her neighbours with the finger of scorn she had a downcast glance and a faded cheek but such things never robbed him of sleep nor did any maiden disturb his peace it was an old woman who made him suffer an old woman who was his rival in piety and who had gained from many curates such enthusiastic praises and eulogies as he in his best days had never received between capitan tiago and this widow who had inherited from brothers and cousins there existed a holy rivalry which redounded to the benefit of the church as the competition among the pampanga steamers then redounded to the benefit of the public did capitan tiago present to some virgin a silver wand ornamented with emeralds and topazes at once doña patrocinio had ordered another of gold set with diamonds if at the time of the naval procession capitan tiago erected an arch with two facades covered with ruffled cloth and decorated with mirrors glass globes and chandeliers 
Then Doña Patrocinio would have another with four facades, six feet higher, and more gorgeous hangings. Then he would fall back on his reserves, his strong point, his speciality, masses with bombs and fireworks, whereat Doña Patrocinio could only gnaw at her lips with her toothless gums, because, being exceedingly nervous, she could not endure the chiming of the bells, and still less the explosions of the bombs. While he smiled in triumph, she would plan her revenge and pay the money of others to secure the best orators of the five orders in Manila, the most famous preachers of the cathedral, and even the Paulists, to preach on the holy days upon profound theological subjects to the sinners who understood only the vernacular of the mariners. The partisans of Capitan Tiago would observe that she slept during the sermon, but her adherents would answer that the sermon was paid for in advance, and by her, and that in any affair payment was the prime requisite. At length she had driven him from the field completely by presenting to the church three andas of gilded silver, each one of which cost her over three thousand pesos. Capitan Tiago hoped that the old woman would breathe her last almost any day, or that she would lose five or six of her lawsuits, so that he might be alone in serving God. But, unfortunately, the best lawyers of the Real Audiencia looked after her interests, and, as to her health, there was no part of her that could be attacked by sickness. She seemed to be a steel wire, no doubt for the edification of souls, and she hung on in this veil of tears with the tenacity of a boil on the skin. Her adherents were secure in the belief that she would be canonized at her death, and that Capitan Tiago himself would have to worship her at the altars, all of which he agreed to and cheerfully promised, provided only that she die soon. Such was Capitan Tiago in the days of which we write. As for the past, he was the only son of a sugar-planter of Malabon, wealthy enough, but so miserly that he would not spend a cent to educate his son, for which reason the little Santiago had been the servant of a good Dominican, a worthy man who had tried to train him in all of good that he knew and could teach. When he had reached the happy stage of being known amongst his acquaintances as a logician, that is, when he began to study logic, the death of his protector, soon followed by that of his father, put an end to his studies, and he had to turn his attention to business affairs. He married a pretty young woman of Santa Cruz, who gave him social position and helped him to make his fortune. Doña Pia Alba was not satisfied with buying and selling sugar, indigo and coffee, but wished to plant and reap, so the newly married couple bought land in San Diego. From this time dated their friendship with Padre Damaso and with Don Rafael Ibarra, the richest capitalist of the town. The lack of an heir in the first six years of their wedded life made of that eagerness to accumulate riches almost a censurable ambition. Doña Pia was comely, strong, and healthy, yet it was in vain that she offered novenas and at the advice of the devout women of san diego made a pilgrimage to the virgin of kaisaisai in taal distributed alms to the poor and danced at midday in may in the procession of the virgin of turumba in paquil but it was all with no result until Fray Damaso advised her to go to obando to dance in the fiesta of saint pascual bailon and ask him for a son 
now it is well known that there is in obando a trinity which grants sons or daughters according to request our lady of salamba saint clara and saint pasqual thanks to this wise advice doña pia soon recognized the signs of approaching motherhood but alas like the fisherman of whom shakespeare tells in macbeth who ceased to sing when he had found a treasure she at once lost all her mirthfulness fell into melancholy and was never seen to smile again capriciousness natural in her condition commented all even capitan tiago a purpural fever put an end to her hidden grief and she died leaving behind a beautiful baby girl for whom Fray Damaso himself stood sponsor. As St. Pasquale had not granted the son that was asked, they gave the child the name of Maria Clara, in honor of the Virgin of Salamba and St. Clara, punishing the worthy St. Pasquale with silence. The little girl grew up under the care of her Aunt Isabel, that good old lady of monkish urbanity whom we met at the beginning of the story for the most part her early life was spent in san diego on account of its healthful climate and there padre damaso was devoted to her maria clara had not the small eyes of her father like her mother she had eyes large black long-lashed merry and smiling when she was playing but sad deep and pensive in moments of repose as a child her hair was curly and almost blonde her straight nose was neither too pointed nor too flat while her mouth with the merry dimples at the corners recalled the small and pleasing one of her mother her skin had the fineness of an onion cover and was as white as cotton according to her perplexed relatives who found the traces of capitan tiago's paternity in her small and shapely ears aunt isabel ascribed her half-european features to the longings of doña pia whom she remembered to have seen many times weeping before the image of saint anthony another cousin was of the same opinion differing only in the choice of the smart as for her it was either the virgin itself or saint michael a famous philosopher who was the cousin of capitan tinong and who had memorized the amat sought for the true explanation in planetary influences the idol of all maria clara grew up amidst smiles and love the very friars showered her with attentions when she appeared in the processions dressed in white her abundant hair interwoven with two broses and sampaguitas with two diminutive wings of silver and gold fastened on the back of her gown, and carrying in her hands a pair of white doves tied with blue ribbons. Afterwards she would be so merry and talk so sweetly in her childish simplicity that the enraptured Capitan Tiago could do nothing but bless the saints of Obando and advise everyone to purchase beautiful works of sculpture in southern countries the girl of thirteen or fourteen years changes into a woman as the bud of the night becomes a flower in the morning at this period of change so full of mystery and romance maria clara was placed by the advice of the curate of binondo in the nunnery of saint catherine in order to receive strict religious training from the sisters with tears she took leave of padre damaso and of the only lad who had been a friend of her childhood crisostomo ibarra 
who himself shortly afterward went away to Europe. There, in that convent, which communicates with the world through double bars, even under the watchful eyes of the nuns, she spent seven years. Each having his own particular ends in view, and knowing the mutual inclinations of the two young persons, Don Rafael and Capitan Tiago agreed upon the marriage of their children and the formation of a business partnership. This agreement, which was concluded some years after the younger Ibarra's departure, was celebrated with equal joy by two hearts in widely separated parts of the world and under very different circumstances. End of chapter 6